All right. Wait, wait, wait. Dollar waiting on a dime. Why are you drinking so loudly? Hold on. Welcome Hold to Bonehead. <laughs> Where were we? <laughs> so this is Bonehead Weekly, the show that... Um, runs between 45 minutes and an hour and hour 15. Hour and 10, yeah, usually. It runs about a 45 to an hour and 10. For the last few, it's run about an hour and 10. When we started out, it ran about 40, 45. Yeah, maybe we should get back to that. I don't know. The audience seems to hate it. <laughs> so! Well, we've never made them happy yet, so why start why now? Why start now? I'd like to welcome you all. I'm Joe. That's... And over there's James behind the camera is Haley. If you're still watching this show, you probably already knew all that. This is the thing I've been the most excited about doing for a long time now. Finally going to do an entire episode dedicated to Angry Birds. <laughs> I thought he was going to talk about me coming out, but all right, then fine. <laughs> yes, Angry Birds. You know, we wanted to do something that would surprise our audience. <laughs> oh! Well, I wanted to do the Emoji movie, but... Anyway, Angry Birds. What are we doing, Chad? The Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone. Do you Best guys like Golden Earring song? It's not just a Golden Earring song, sir. Twilight but it Zone. Is the best one. Holy God! Would you shut up? Name me one other Golden Earring song without looking it up. Name me one other Golden Earring song. Um, oh, oh, son of a gun. It's, uh, uh No, that was, saying, that, that was saying by Nazareth. No, it's not. Son of a gun. No, Radar Love is sang by Golden Earring, though. We've got a thing they call the Radar Love. I don't know who son of the, I don't know the, who these people are. That's because you don't have any culture. You have not seen The Sandlot. Shut up. I have never seen The Sandlot. It was an argument before the show started. So one of my favorite shows of all time, when people ask me my favorite movie, or what? Nothing. You look like you're going to say something. No. When people ask me my favorite movie, it comes up in conversation, or my favorite television show, I always have a hard time with it. You I don't know, have a... You always say Santa Barbara. Yeah, well, you know, A. Martinez. Oh, God. Mm. Oh, A. Martinez. Anyway, back to what I was going to say. I have a hard time. It's like asking me my favorite finger about my favorite movie. I'll, my my, my go-to answer is usually everything between The Evil Dead 2 and, and, and uh, Citizen Kane or Wizard of Oz. However, same thing How with television. How about in Cincinnati? Hard for me to say. There's a lot of great television shows. There's one, some wonderful series. A lot of them came out actually in the last 20 years. Yep. I and Chad and probably James agree that we currently are in the golden age of television. Or we may have already passed it just a little bit. With, without a doubt, keeping up with the Kardashians, keep it up. <laughs> anyway, that being said... Other they're on their walkers and easy to catch. <laughs> that being said, one of the greatest television shows ever made was The Twilight Zone. Right? Any argument between you two? Hold on, he's gonna give a, he's gonna give an argument about Chiller. No, thriller. it's Thriller. 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 Oh, Chiller's a channel. Yeah. I uh, know. I was gonna say actually, no, it's definitely in the top ten of all time. I won't argue that point. You I think, think it's in the top ten of all time? Oh yeah. What about you, Chad? Uh, no, top five. It may be in the top five. I don't know. It's really hard to do those things because I love Breaking Bad and I love The Sopranos, but I, I I'll to tell you. A little bit of the history. I grew up loving it, and as I got older, that didn't diminish. In fact, I even appreciated it more and more as I've gotten older. And now at 40, I see some of the episodes, even though I've seen them dozens or dozens of times before, and I appreciate them all over again for a whole other level of understanding of commentary that Sterling was saying, and it was never really hidden. Right. I mean, he was all, his commentary was really kind of out there. It might have been slightly, but for the most part, if you were... Fairly yeah. intellectual person. It was right there. What and, was I say? And the other side of that is, and I, I assume we're going to talk a little bit about the origin, but one of the reasons he did the Twilight Zone was he got tired of being edited. Edited, right? yeah. And we'll get to that in a minute. So what I wanted yeah. to say really quick was... I, I mean, it is a show that was so popular that the reruns actually built a network. Yeah. The Sci-Fi Channel. The Sci-Fi Channel. And without the Twilight Zone, we wouldn't have wrestling on a show, on a channel dedicated to science fiction. 
<laughs> is that still on sci-fi? Probably not. I, I think they know. came to their senses. But Na National Treasure still shows on sci-fi. <laughs> that often just because drives me. Because it's a national treasure. Anyway, moving right along. You can't see us. We're both shaking our heads at you. So a little bit of backstory. I love the Twilight Zone so much that every year they do two marathons, or they did up until this year, the Sci-Fi Channel. They did one at New Year's. And they did one over the 4th of July weekend. Right. Now, James and I have a checkered past. And what I mean by that was we both worked in residence life and housing <laughs> for many years. Correct, sir? So a yes. lot of times you'd have to move and sometimes in the middle. Huh? And we play checkers. And we play checkers because we're not broad enough to do. Checkers. We're definitely checkers people, not chess people. So anyway... Where does the horsey move again? Where does Yeah, I always get confused. Why is that called a night? Anyway, what? Because it's not a day. So, I can remember more than a dozen times or half a dozen times of even having to move in the middle of the summer during 4th of July weekend or over New Year's. Yeah. And the Twilight Zone being in the background. I, I remember when James got fired by an institution and I was fired a year later of moving out of that institution with the Twilight Zone playing in the background over that 4th of July weekend. Do you know what I mean? I can remember when I finally got off campus and moved out into a place of on my own and the Twilight Zone was playing at New Year's. Mm -hmm. I loved it. And this past summer, the Sci-Fi Channel stopped doing it over Fourth of July weekend. And I found myself not only getting mad, but kind of sad. Right. Because so many of my memories, and this is probably boring to you all, but just how attached I am to the show and how good and bad things happened to me with it playing in the background with me stopping putting shit into a box just so I could watch Burgess Meredith do one of the great episodes whether it be this one, that one at last, at last finally at last James there was time time, time enough at last at last right so, where do you guys want to start? You want to start let's, about Rod Serling? Let's start about Rod Serling let's start with the man who, who brought us the Show. Rod Serling was born in Syracuse, New York, Jewish background. He would later uh, be really enthusiastic about going to war. He, during the 40s, he was in high school. A uh, high school professor actually talked him out of dropping out of school and enlisting and told him to finish high school education. He said war is fleeting, but education would be with him forever. And that stuck with him as well. But the day after he graduated, he enlisted. He became a paratrooper. And he had often regretted and was upset that he was sent to the Philippines because he wanted to go to Europe and fight the Nazis because of, obviously, his heritage and, you know, he hate, hated Hitler. Right. From all accounts, and I can read, and a lot of stuff from Wikipedia and a few other resources that I'll give at the end of this episode, he was not the world's greatest soldier. Uh, he did end up doing some demolition work afterwards, and he witnessed all kinds of atrocities. Specifically, people forget about the... It's much more popular to talk about the European theater of war, but the Pacific was deadly. Right. Deadly, deadly, deadly. And Well, the illnesses, too. I mm -hmm. mean, the illnesses that could become rampant in the Philippines. Right, I mean, absolutely. War, but illness. So he saw so much death, so much senseless death. I was telling a story that I won't go into here to Chad beforehand. Chad went, damn. Yeah. And uh, it stuck with him. Stuck with him forever. So it made he, me lose my head. Yeah. <laughs> he had a purple star and a bronze star. And he finally got out of the military. And, of course, like other people, he used what? His GI Bill to go to school. Right. When he was at school, he ended up working at the radio station, writing and directing for the radio. And that's actually where he started out, was writing for radio. James, do you have anything to add to this as we go? I noticed you talked about a little bit of it, about the history of. Well, no, just, just his, I mean, he was... He was what we would probably consider very, very forward-thinking for his time. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a big issue with injustice, and one of the things that came up was during about the well, about this time period was the the murder of Emmett Till. Who was Emmett Till for our audience? Emmett Till was an African American who was from, if I'm remembering my history correctly, uh, from the north was visiting the South. He was accused of whistling at a white woman. Mm -hmm. uh, 
he made it home to his cousins. He was staying with his aunt and uncle. Um, and he later went out and then later his body was found, um, just absolutely brutally mutilated. Uh, the historical side of that is it was a huge step forward for civil rights because his family refused to have a closed casket funeral. Right. Despite the fact that he was horribly mutilated. Um, so fully on display for the first time um, ever and, and documented in photos was what Jim Crow um, and other things did to... Did you put Lovecraft to, Country up? Yes, I did. Uh, to, to I mean, really look at what Jim Crow did. I mean, this brutal... And later on, um, the woman that accused him of whistling at her said it was a lie. Hmm. So he was literally killed, brutally mutilated for absolutely nothing. For no reason. Um, so there you go. Uh, and, and Rod Serling wrote a drama about that um, that was very, very loosely based on it. And he wanted it to be set in Mississippi, I believe. He wanted it to be obviously an African-American male. Uh, and as it went through the system, it kept getting edited. And it was eventually changed to uh, a Jewish pawnbroker in New York at one point. And it was supposed to be, you know, about how anti-Semitism was lingering. And then it eventually got changed to just some random guy in some unnamed town. Hmm. So they edited the depth of the story and the social commentary he wanted to make completely out of his story right. and he'd be furious right yeah but so no go ahead we'll get to that in a minute about how twilight zone came about but what were you going to say chad no i was just saying so in the mid 50s he was by the mid 50s he was a really successful teleplay writer really quick i'll give you a little bit more history before we get to the yeah. his success of that he was a paratrooper i said that a bronze star purple heart he was shot in the knee the knee actually gave him problems the rest of his life his wife said later that she became accustomed to him his knee buckling and falling down the stairs which if anyone knows me i have a bad ankle and i just laughed about that of me getting up out of bed and going thump so and also he was a boxer did you all know that no he boxed while he was in the army, and he boxed a little in high school as well, which kind of goes to uh, requiem for a heavyweight. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Which he wrote. Yeah. For Playhouse Ninety. So he uh, did radio. Thank you, James, for doing that. Yes, you keep doing the the queens of what is it? The queens of Marksbury. The queens of Marksbury Mark. rules. The Marquis of Queensberry rules. That's what I said. The Queens of Mark who? Yeah, that's what I said. I said, Uh, Maker's Mark, and then we'll get some Queens. I done say you. He did. The Freddie Mercury Queenie rules. So, he wrote for radio. That turned into him moving. He started... (laughs) (laughs) He started writing, actually, for a television station in Cincinnati. Is where he actually first started writing for TV. And that led to uh, other. Now, some of our viewers may also know that is Cincinnati. That is really close, by the way. That is that's that's so, so, hold on to quote the Craig Dennis, Cincinnati. Anyway, so he wrote for Cincinnati, and then he would sell his teleplays, sold. and he would sell sold. if his something wasn't sold to radio, then he'd sell it to television, right. and vice versa. If something didn't sell, he would till he sold something. Right. So. A lot of things you write for radio ended up on television and vice versa, and I found that fascinating. So go ahead. So yeah, by the mid '50s, Serling was a very successful writer for television. Mm-hmm. At this point, um, he had actually won an Emmy for a teleplay for uh, called Patterns that aired on the Kraft Television Theater. That right. was his first Emmy. Um, as James mentioned, he was growing frustrated by the constant demands to alter his work. He decided the best option was to begin his own series and thus having full creation uh, of, of his body of work. And Patterns was in 1955. Sorry, I had it down here and I forgot. No, that's okay. Um, so let's get into the Twilight Zone, should we say? Really quick. Well, he, before that, he was also famed right after Patterns is when he wrote, and if you ever get a chance to watch it, Requiem for a Heavyweight. Uh, Jackie Gleason's in that. There's um, is that made, It was made more than once. James, is that correct? I'm looking at you because I thought you might know more yeah. than that. 
Yeah, no, it was made. Yeah, that's one of those things that has been. It was made for Playhouse um, 90. And, and you guys, for some of you all, just really quick, a little bit of a history lesson. I'm not trying to be condescending at all. Time, at all. But television at one point was live, mostly live. Right. And they did this stuff live. And you may never see it again. No one thought about syndication. Right. Only the geniuses, like Desi Arnaz and a few other folks, thought about syndication and how that would later, and let's get this on film so that we can keep it forever. Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of people were never that, 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 that farsighted. Now go. James. I'm sorry, you were saying, James? Well, what I was going to say, before we actually get into Twilight Zone, um, can we talk a little bit about the precursors of the Twilight Zone? No, you can bite my ass. Yeah, are you going to talk about the time <laughs> element? What now? Are you talking about the time element? What do you mean? No, go ahead, go ahead, go James, ahead James, your... James, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, because I'm confused what you're about to say. Okay, going so, about so to 1951... Say? 1951, there was a show that some people argue was a precursor of the Twilight Zone on CBS. And it was called Out There. Oh. And it was this horror and science fiction anthology. Yeah. Uh, and it was um, basically through a partnership with a lot of science fiction writers like Robert Heinlein, Ray Bradbury, Theodore Sturgeon. Uh, John McDonald, Frank Belknap Long, who wrote they, horror as well. Never, and, I've never uh, heard of any of these people. Who is this Bradbury? Milton Les Lesser. The actors they got to do this, they, they realized that it would be cheaper to do a show if they didn't have to consistently pay actors. So they would do an anthology. And so they got actors like Leslie Nelson, Rob Steger, Kim Stanley, Robert Weber. And... Um, so it came out in 1951. For some reason, CBS said, oh, it's a science fiction show with horror, some horror episodes, and it's going to mm -hmm. do all this. You know the best time to put that on the air would be 6 p.m. <laughs> um, so they aired it at 6 p.m. Oddly enough, it developed a following, and it only aired for one season, but it wasn't getting what they wanted out of it. It wasn't getting the sponsorship they wanted. So they temporarily canceled it. And according to a TV guide um, in 1953, the announcement they made was that it was coming back in 1954 as, a, as an anthology. It would continue to be called Out There, and it was going to use the same format to tell science fiction and horror stories. Okay. And even though CBS announced that, it never happened. Okay. ABC, however, after Out There actually proved to be a moderate success, went, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do Tales of Tomorrow. And we're going we're gonna to get CBS. They got us on Out There. We're going to do Tales of Tomorrow, and we're actually going to make a deal with the Science Fiction League of America. So how'd you end up with Tales from the Crypt? What? Nothing. I'm just messing with you. Keep going. Um... So ABC did this. They inked to deal with the, the Science Fiction League of America that basically they had first view of any science fiction story that was published by any author that came through there, which actually included people like Theodore Sturgeon. It was the first time that some young upstart author called Arthur C. Clarke got offered money <laughs> to have a film made based on something he wrote. Yeah. Uh, and it also was the first science fiction TV show that was consistently aimed at adults. Um, and interestingly enough, because they had first view, they adapted a short story called What You Need, which would later get readapted by a certain uh, Twilight Zone. Okay. So those two shows lasted, uh, like I said, out there lasted one season. They kept saying they were going to bring it back. They never did, even though they announced it to TV Guide. Uh, but the, the CBS execs kept saying, we are going to do another anthology series, which would eventually happen as the Twilight Zone. ABC kept theirs running for about three years. So, um, and it died. They, they finally just closed it out. Once they weren't competing against out there, they ran it about another two seasons, and they canceled it. So what I wanted to frame is there were all these anthology shows going on, and on top of that, Twilight Zone wasn't even the first one that came out that season. Um, 
the uh, the the first the anthology show that came out, ABC beat them to the punch that for that too. Uh, they launched um, One Step Beyond, and it premiered in January before Twilight Zone premiered in October. Okay. Uh, One Step Beyond used the same format. John Newland was the host. The exception was John Newland directed every single episode of that show. And it ran for three years. Huh. Hmm. So it beat, and, and there's people that you can buy One Step Beyond on DVD. Most of them are public domain now. Um, but it actually, a lot of historians argue that the format of The Twilight Zone borrowed heavily from One Step Beyond. Matter of fact, One Step Beyond was rebooted before The Twilight Zone was rebooted. In 1978, John Newland came back again and hosted um, the reboot called The Next Step Beyond. But nobody remembers One Step Beyond. Why is that? What's what's funny about it is it had a great cast. And there's another show that was made in England uh, that was syndicated in America that also beat The Twilight Zone to the air. And listen to this, because I've got to find this now. It was called 13 Demon Street. The host was Lon Chaney Jr. Hmm. It was created by Kurt, uh, is it Sjodnak? Yeah. The, who, who wrote The Wolfman. Yeah, S-I-O-D-M-A, right? Yeah. Uh, the plot to it was Chaney played a prisoner who was forced to stay in a house on 13 Demon Street. And the intro to every show was him talking about... I shouldn't be in prison. Yes, I did a crime, but here's somebody that did a way worse crime than I did. And it was always these horrible sin filled stories, all this stuff. And they were always horror stories. Yeah. And again, same kind of format. Uh, It proved so popular actually that there, you can find this movie. Now they re-edited three of the episodes actually got Lon Chaney to come back and do intros as the devil himself. And um, and they released it as a movie called um, The Devil's Messenger. And that came out three years later. But it premiered in, again, January of 1959 and ran for two seasons in England before we ever saw The Twilight Zone. I hate um, to rush you, but we need to get back to The Twilight Zone in a second. But I wanted to say, I wanted to frame <laughs> that as there were all these shows on that were doing exactly what The Twilight Zone does so the fact that we remember the twilight zone and that it beat out lon cheney jr show and an existing anthology show and and this framework that all came before it if we're going to talk about the history we have to frame it as this wasn't something new but it was something that was done better well i i I, well thriller also came out and thriller was uh, was hosted by oh boris karloff boris karloff that actually reminds me, Thriller wasn't the first show that he hosted. Okay. That's okay. No, it's okay. No, 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 we no, don't no, have no, to no, talk no, about no, that no, one. No, no, no. <laughs> and we're talking about The Outer Limits, and The Outer Limits is remembered probably second to The Twilight Zone, and then Thriller is a kind of a far off. The Outer Thriller Limits has... came later. Huh? Outer Limits came later. Well, I know, but I'm just talking about some of these that that have lasted now to a word in 2018. Yeah. That people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually... but I, the, the Boris Karloff show that came first was The Veil, and it did compete against Twilight Zone. But it never got released. Okay. Anyway, moving right along. So why do we remember it? I think it's Rod Serling. It's Rod Serling. We remember Rod Serling. Yeah. Whatever that is. And he did wasn't not he did not want to go in front of the camera. He was talked and coerced into it. Right. History tales. But So Go ahead. Chip. Let's get into how it got started real quick and then we'll get into we'll get into our episodes right. um, of the ones that really we really remember. So, um, because of his success in television, he re- um, he was allowed to pitch The Twilight Zone as um, an ep- uh, he wrote a screenplay called The Time Element. Yeah. Which the Time Element is, and you'll there are a couple episodes of The Twilight Zone that are reminiscent of this plot. Um, is about a man who travels back to 1941 Honolulu to warn the people of the island about Pearl mm-hmm. Harbor and nobody listens to him. And right. basically, it, uh, it's inevitable that it happens. Right. Um, Serling submitted the episode to CBS. It was produced for the Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, but And as soon as it aired, it was a critical and um, viewership success. Um, so that allowed him to get 
the Twilight Zone on the air. Um, and as as we'll talk about, uh, Rod Serling initially wanted to, wanted to be responsible for 80% of the shows that aired. And he didn't quite get there. He was actually responsible for slightly over 50% of those episodes. Out of the 156, how many did he write to? He wrote 90 of them. 90, 92 episodes would actually have his name as one of the writers. It's over two-thirds of the episodes. Right. So, what's cool about, though, is the time element. Really quick, it didn't play again. You know when it played again? No. 1996. TV Land premiered. And it was uh, they did a like a, a barrage of old shows. And that was the first time that the time element had played since the late fifties when it when when it came on. See, I've never seen it. Have you? Seen I it? haven't seen it either. Have Apparently, you, James? No. It's with it's the two thousand and something box set of the Twilight Zone has it on it, by the way. Oh. But it's only one version of those mini box sets that they've let out of the Twilight Zone. Right. Has it on it. All right. So it started in nineteen fifty nine to nineteen sixty four on CBS. Right. Right. It uh, we. Uh, this is something fascinating, and James, I don't know if you knew this or not. It was never a hit. Did you know that? No, I, I knew it was never huge. It was. It actually got canceled three times. It's that I very, did not know. It is very much like Star Trek in the sense of it got canceled the first time he fought and he got it back. It got canceled the second time he fought and got it back. And after five seasons, when it got canceled the third time, he let it die because he was tired. Specifically, when you write ninety some episodes, right. by the way, on top of hosting duties and being basically the showrunner, right? He, his company, and Buck Houghton owned owned Twilight Zone. It wasn't CBS that owned it, right? I don't know if you knew that or not. They didn't sell it to them till later for the syndication rights. And what it was was several of the episodes throughout the series constantly went over budget. Once again, Rod Serling being a perfectionist, wanting what he wanted. A lot of stuff went over budget. So they sold the series to cover a lot of their debts and made a good deal for them. Of course, CBS got rich and rich and rich over the Twilight Zone over the next, how many years? 50-some years? Yeah, 50-some years. 50-some years. So there's a 100- back of an author. What'd you say? I said standing on the back of an author. Absolutely. So, once again, Serling hated being censor censored. Wanted to get away from it. Another thing for people to kind of... James gave us a bit a longer history lesson. This one be slightly more brief. Is that uh, sometimes shows were just had one sponsor. Like it was the Colgate blah, 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 comedy hour. Well, the, when you have that, you have another producer. When someone is writing a check, they only want certain content. Well, if you're Serling and you want to write about racism, you want to write about anti-war, you want to write about big business, you want to write all about all these things, well, do you, Johnson & Johnson doesn't give a shit, and they don't want you to talk about that. Why? Because they don't want to piss off the racists who are buying their stuff. Right. So, Joe, what'd you say? When I'm thinking of, when, listen, when I'm talking about anti-war stuff, I enjoy the great flavor of Frankenberry syrup. <laughs> Frankenberry. Bringing bonehead to you night after night. Anyway, Booberry can I didn't suck it. Right. But anyway, so that was a whole other thing that he wanted to get away from. And the, the real, and, and you, of course, it's still 19, late 50s. You can't do anything you want on television. However, he had figured it out. If you did it in science fiction and horror, if you do it in fantasy, you can get away with a lot more. Right. Everybody has figured this out. But. I want to frame it in another way of it's 1959, it's 1958. Science fiction is, when we've talked about horror, of horror being right here above porn in a certain time, science fiction's at the same damn place. This is pre-Star Wars. This is pre-2001. Hell, this is pre-Forbidden, well, no, Forbidden Planet had been around. Right? It was pre Star Trek. It was pre, I mean, the mainstream. Mainstream science fiction of, oh, I'm going to go out and what? No, it didn't exist. You all don't understand. If you're really young, you don't understand that these things are looked down upon. There's a great interview with Mike Wallace that I wasn't able to find that Jane, uh, Chad and I were talking about before the show, where he's basically asking Rod Serling, who was a very, very well known, highly sought after writer at the time, as Chad said right. earlier. Why are you going to lower yourself to do science fiction? Yeah, because... I'm talking he, about the Twilight Zone. Because at that out. time, you know, like, the toilets were considered a devil's sippy cup. 
That was right off the top of my head. I'm sorry. It made Haley laugh. I guess it was worth it. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, so if you could do that, you could frame... Shut up, James. <laughs> you could frame any story you wanted as long as you... Lovecraft Country. Yes, James, you keep pointing out that country should have an O in it, but it doesn't there on the book. No, it does. It's right there. No, I don't see an O. Why are you covering up the O? Anyway, so... There's 156 episodes. Season 1 through 3 are 30 minutes long. Season 4 was an hour long. It was an experiment. And Season 5 went back to the 30 minute long. There's about but six... Go ahead, Jay. You originally wanted it to be an hour, right? Right. I, don't, a... I didn't find that. I, I've read before that he thought of it as an hour show originally, um, which a lot of historians argue would have been a mistake because it's easier to do tales of science fiction and tales of horror and things like that if you don't have the time. Come on in, Haley. Well, I know. Um, I, I, it looks better now. She adjusted oh, well, James. One, one thing I do want to say real quick before we start talking about the episodes, because you've talked about the production of it, you also can't talk about the Twilight Zone without talking about the music behind it. Okay. I, I don't have yeah. anything about the music. Um. Do you know who did the music for the first season? No, I know who did the music for the 85 re relaunch. Chopin Williams. Bernard Herman. I was Ooh. close. I was really close. He did nothing with Hoochcock. Hoochcock? Yeah, uh, <laughs> what did you say? I said Hoochcock. <laughs> Hoochcock was Hitchcock's illegitimate cousin who did. So, he, so Serlin got the man that did Psycho. Gangster North Peach Pitches. Uh, the man who knew too much, Vertigo. I, I know. It's, uh, I know. Kane did that little Citizen I, Kane. I movie. have heard of the Bernard Herman. And then the day the Earth stood, I'm telling other people. So this wasn't some slouch he got to do a little television intro. But the other part about it was he got these other contributors to do the incidental music. And those other contributors include people like Jerry Goldsmith. Oh, he didn't do Alien or Star Trek. And. and uh, Franz Waxman. Do you know who what Franz Waxman did? My back. A lot of Brazilians. <laughs> the music for The Bride of Frankenstein, Stalag 17, Rebecca, and Sunset Strip. Once again, Hoochcock. Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard. So, Billy Wilder? Yes. Never heard of him. So these, I mean, he, and that was just he was the great Charlie 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 Charlie. During the second <laughs> season, they went they wanted a new intro. That was Johnny Depp. <laughs> and the second, the second season has a more famous intro that's done by uh, Marcus Constant or Maris Constant, whatever his name was. But I just wanted to point out that literally it's because of Rod Serling. Rod Serling had the clout to get musicians that were Academy Award winners and have them do TV. So to jump off so, that, as we get into our episodes, do you know why, other than Rod Serling, do you know why we remember to the Twilight Zone to this day? Why J.J. Abrams, the god, no, I'm joking, but he is probably one of the most influential people up today, says it's his favorite TV show. Do you want to know why? The writers. Yeah. It was the writing. Yeah. Rod Serling was a more machine than man. Three or four packs a day, died of a heart attack at 50. But he wrote all the time. And I promise you, for the most part, if you think of a Twilight Zone episode that you love, it was written by three men. It was either written by Rod Serling, who wrote the majority of them, Charles Beaumont, or, James, you know who my third one is? Oh. Richard Matheson. Yes. Now, don't get you me know, wrong. There were other people who wrote on there, and there was a lot of uh, stories. Ray Bradbury had stuff adapted, right? That, that was I Seen the Body Electric was adapted from a Ray Bradbury story. Ambrose Pierce. Ambrose Pierce uh, Bierce was the one who did uh, uh, an incident at Owl Creek. Which I didn't know that was that, actually filmed. No, the... no, it's a French film. He, stole, he bought it from the French market. Right. Yeah, yeah. And let's talk, I mean, if we're going to talk about other writers, too, you, you can mention George Clayton Johnson, who wrote Logan's Run, and as of recently... I didn't know that. He's wrote all the Oceans films. Really? Yeah. Still? Still. He's still alive. He wrote Oceans 8. He's still alive. Still yeah. alive. 
I did not know that. He's been pushing to get Logan's Run remade for years. Yeah. He used to have a website dedicated to it. Um, and then also Jerome Bixby, who wrote The Man from Earth. Oh, well, yes. The man, by the way, side note, get on Netflix and watch The Man from Earth if you have a chance. A wonderful movie with a lot of great Star Trek actors in it. Also, Tony Todd. Yeah. Amazing. It plays out. Oh, have you seen it, Haley? Haley was doing this behind the thing. I thought she'd see it. It has a sequel now, too. What'd you say? Oh, yeah. There's a sequel. Yeah, yeah. But we watched it together, and it was. It was. It's really powerful. Yeah, if you love The Twilight Zone, A Man from Earth is. is And there's a Twilight Zone episode kind of like that, too. I wonder if Bixby wrote it. Probably. But back to those are two more. James, any other authors you want to mention? Uh, no, I I found a website dedicated to this, and it argued that there there a lot of fans argue there's a big four, which are the three you named, and then a fourth one I forget. But they argued that there was this little uh, there was another author that did a lot of work on it, and I forget who it was. So I'm useless. All right, so you want to start talking about our favorite episodes? Yep. I want to do it. I figure we can go around, but I want to do it by my authors. So the first one I want to talk about is Charles Beaumont. Charles Beaumont had a brain disease disorder. He died in 1967. Uh, it was been said that he might have had early onset Alzheimer's, other issues. Other science fiction writers were friends of his at the time. He had a lot of problems. However, he was actually, that was his pen name. Uh-huh. It was Tra- Charles Leroy Nutt. And by the way, you're going to buy something from Charles Beaumont before you are Charlie Nutt. Yep. <laughs> Come on down to Charlie Nutt. I'll sell you this car. Come down and bust a nut. Oh. See, I was going, we got bold, we got shucked. I, you don't shuck a nut. I'm sticking with busting a nut. All right. He wrote one of my favorite ones, The Howling Man. Do you guys remember The Howling Man? Love. That was going to be one of mine. I'm glad you took it, though. Yes, The Howling Man. Is oh, great- and it has Dutch angles. Now, for you all that don't know much about filmmaking, Dutch angles is one that's like sideways, and I forgot to write down who directed it. And basically what it is is this stranger, he's out in the middle of Europe, who gives a shit where, and it's raining outside, and he goes up to a castle, and he gets in, and he needs to be saved, and these monks are in the castle. They invite him in, and yes, we'll save you, but there's this guy screaming he can hear what is that well you can't go anywhere near it finally later he gets he gets away and he goes in and the guy's like you can't let him out we've we've got satan the devil is up there oh, in the, okay and don't let the devil out well he starts talking to the guy he gets away and he starts talking to the guy now i know these monks are crazy assholes they put me in this cage let me out and of course he's an american why would this this isn't the devil he lets him out guess who they have Old Scratch. <laughs> That's right. They let out the forked tongue killer, would you say? And what happens after they let him out, Joe? Wars. Famine. World War Three. Starts yeah. of WW... Was it, was it World War Two? Is that what World happens right after? Because the village the with the people are the ones who caught him, and the monks are the ones who keep him up there, correct? Yes. And is it World War II? I couldn't remember if it was World War II or World the, War Three. The director of that episode. Directed, by the way, by Douglas Hayes. Douglas Hayes. Which I was getting ready, that's what I was getting ready to say, James. Thank you. Douglas Hayes, who uh, went on to direct the very popular, one of the very first minis- mini- popular miniseries, North and South. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, love that episode. It's great. Written by Charles Beaumont. By the way, he also wrote a little movie uh, with Vincent Price in it. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. It's called The Mask of the Red Death. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Which was not That's written good. by... Which was one of the few James of those Poe films that wasn't written by... Richard Matheson. Uh, Matheson. Matheson wrote a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're friends. Yeah. That's... You, you want to go? Yeah, I'll go. Um, so... One thing I'll say is... Um, the first... These episodes were the ones that I thought of right off the bat again. Yeah. I, I mentioned previous episodes, like... Uh, when you when we say we're going to do a list of our favorites, mine come on automatically. But what I did was curious of 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 how unique my tastes are. <laughs> I looked up these up. I looked up like several. Lists. How unique, Chad? What was the birthday gift I gave you? Super Mario Brothers motion uh, original motion movie poster. Yeah, original. How excited were you for that? I geeked out like a schoolboy. Have you guys seen that movie? It's shy. It's terrible. But I enjoy it. Um, no, so uh, none of my, my none of my episodes appeared on any list. So well, well I gotta hear them. So uh, the first, I'll go with the first one. Uh, Mister Denton on Doomsday. 
one of my favorite episodes of Twilight Zone ever. What's the plot? What was it? Uh, Mr. Ditton on Doomsday. I, you've lost me. Yeah, yeah. And I've, I've heard, I, so it's I about... Think, go tell ahead. me the plot. No, so it, um, it's written by Alan Reisner and... Uh, I'm sorry, directed by Alan Reisner and written by Rod Serling. Imagine that. Yeah, um, the story takes place in the Old West. Um, it's about the, a town drunk who um, was uh, back in the day of a very uh, notorious gunfighter. But now he's a town drunk. He's a joke. He's picked on by several of the other people in town. Um, then one day, a man rolls into town by the name of Henry J. Fate. And he offers him a chance at redemption. Yeah. He hands him a gun that looks very uh, familiar to him. It, it, it reminds him of his old gun. And once he grabs the gun, he starts to get his abilities back. And he gets more. he becomes more courageous. And he takes on the town bully, who is played by... Martin Landau. Oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So uh, he, he gets the powers back and he slowly becomes, uh, gets his confidence back. Um, it is a really great, in my, t it's a, it's one of the episodes that's always stuck with me about redemption, about coming back from nothing. Um, it was just a really powerful episode and it st still sticks to me to this day. That's cool. So Mr. Denton on Doomsday. James, your turn. I'm going to be honest. I, I thought this would be easier for me, and then I remembered all the episodes. And I oh, like, I have oh. I have several. I have four that I would like to this talk about. This is a... James spent a lot of time talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love yeah. you, James. Tell us again I'm how in 1942 a butterfly affected the comedy. Twilight Zone. Hold on. I could break them into... Because there's, it covered so much. But one I have to talk about, and I know it's not the most popular with most people, but my all-time favorite... Burgess Meredith, Meredith episode has to be the obsolete man. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's right um, here. It's one it's, of mine. It's, uh, it was one that Serling wrote. One of, I got a Burgess Meredith episode on mine, and it's not that one. <laughs> uh, Elliot Silverstein directed it. <laughs> um, he went on to direct uh, other episodes of the Twilight Zone, but he also directed the Tales from the Crypt and things like that. So I obviously had a long career. And the may plot, I really quick say it also has the other great character actor, Fritz Weaver, who went on to do Creepshow and a ton of things as well, as the yes. guy of the state who represents the state. Yes. And that's what the, it's about. I love dystopian literature, and it begins with Burgess Meredith is on trial. Mm -hmm. He is ruled as obsolete in society because. He is a, uh, he's maintaining books. He believes in God. None he's of a that librarian. So he is going to be put to death and he's put on trial and he, um, he goes through all this stuff. He has his last day and all that stuff. And at the end, um, they're going to kill him and he effectively rigs a bomb and he, Warship, though, but he manages to get the chancellor who sentenced him to death into the room with him. Right. Well, he gets to pick the way of his death, and he wants to be blown up, but he requests the state, the guy who represents the state, to come there beforehand. Yeah, and he locks him in the room, so it's him and the man that sentenced him to the death, who is the state, the chancellor. Right. Uh, and throughout the entire episode... Uh, it, I mean, there's religious quotes. There's quotes about free will and how you can't kill it. There's all this stuff, very dystopian. Uh, and at the very end, of course, the chancellor breaks down and begs him to release him. Uh, and at the literally almost the last minute, he lets him go. But he doesn't try to escape. He stays in the room and gets blown up. But by the time the chancellor gets back, because he had to beg somebody else that was obsolete, the state is subaltern. Yeah, subchannel has ruled that he is obsolete, and now he is put to death as well. So it's all this concept about power, uh, the 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 dystopian idea that once you try to quell ideas, once you start crushing beliefs, once you do all that, there's nothing to save you. Uh, and, and again, knowing a little bit about Rob Serling, the fact that he wrote that episode is not overly shocking. Um, but it's it's played so subdued compared to so many episodes, and I love Burgess Meredith in it. He very much plays somebody that's comfortable with who he is, and and he knows the end is coming. You know, he doesn't try to escape at the end because where is he going to go? The state rules everything. 
Um, so near the end of it, when he is, um, you know, when he frees the, the chancellor, he stays, he gets blown up, but it only kills him. And then it's the state that actually kills the former head of state. Right. So I just love that episode. It, it plays with so many different things and quotes from so many, you know, the Bible, but so many other areas get thrown out and it plays with so much idea of what is free will, what is freedom, what is it mean to be obsolete and is there anything that's obsolete when we're talking about values and things like that? So I love that episode. It's one of my all-time favorites um, just because it's heavy, but it's it's so well done. An interesting, so a- an interesting point, what I've read before, too, is a specifically Rod Serling's episodes. The reason that they're always so dialogue heavy, supposedly, is that he wouldn't write into a dictaphone. Oh, really? That his secretary would later type out. So he would do it hour after hour. So that's the reason why a lot of times they're so dialogue heavy, huh. as the people thought. So you want to do one more round for this episode? Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'll, we'll pick up more episodes in our two-parter. In our part. two-parter, right? Yeah, yeah. And then go on about the rest of it. All right, so I mentioned Charles Beaumont. Let's talk about Richard Matheson. Richard Matheson wrote some of your favorite 70s shows. You guys ever heard of Kolchak? The yeah. Night Stalker? Yeah. yeah. How about the He's trilogy? the guy that had the lollipop, right? No, that's Kojak. Who had the best hairdo known to man. How about that uh, trilogy of terror there? Basically, if it was Dan Curtis producing it in the 70s, yeah. Richard Matheson wrote it. He also wrote some of the Edgar Allan Poe films, right, James? James is yes. down there looking at his uh, penis. No, no, you're absolutely right. I was actually just double-checking a director, but go ahead. Yes. He did that. He wrote, wrote some books that we probably have heard of on here. Oh, what is it? Oh, yeah, Hell House, which became one of my favorite movies, Legend of Hell House. And probably one of the best, talking about dystopian literature, James, one of the best vampire novels ever written. That has yet to be adapted correctly. Correctly, except for one time, and then he didn't like it. He didn't like the Vincent Price version. Right, right. I Am Legend. Right? Yep. So Richard Matheson wrote some great ones, but which one do I want to talk about? Just pick one. We're going to talk more. <laughs> I, I know, but there's so many good ones. And a couple of them are Shatner's, by the way, that Matheson wrote, James. No, they were yeah, good. Get it? Yeah. Oh, I know. I'm going to do Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time was the one with Buster Keaton. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I didn't even think about that one. That's one of my favorites. And so, if you guys want to know, Buster Keaton was a silent film actor who was an absolute genius. Yes. An absolute genius. Yes. And by the 60s, late 50s, early 60s, he was doing bitch, bitch, bitch. Beach he was blanket, probably bitching. Be, beach blanket bingo movies. Right. He did a couple of them, okay? Now, he was, like I said, one of the greatest comedians of all time. Great At one point actor. in the uh, early 20s, he controlled Hollywood. Absolutely. Flat, flat out. So, that being said, there's a great episode where he it takes place at Silent. Right. And then he gets into this, uh, gets his hat that lets him travel through time. He kind of breaks it, goes... Uh, He's a silent movie, and yeah. then ends up in modern day, the 60s. Where, the, where audio kicks in. Where audio kicks in, and then you get to hear Buster Keaton, he loses his pants. It's it's very much a farce episode. It's a humorous episode. He gets the hat, gets it fixed by a local tinkerer who gets it back, and he gets back to it, and he's all happy. Very much a very quick one. I love it just because the Twilight Zone had the balls to do it. Can you imagine flipping on your TV in the early 60s and going, why the hell is it silent? Yeah. I didn't hear well, the Twilight Zone. Why are these people on, talking? What? On top of that, did did you read what they had to do when they do the old timey scenes? How they made it look like no, a no, because they make it look like a silent film. They took out every third frame. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> that's great. Look that up. That's hundred percent true. No, I believe because you. They, again, Rod Serling wanted it to be perfect, so he wanted it to be. If you watch a lot of silent film, they ha- kind of have a jerk to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to have that replicated. Rod Serling and the crew behind it figured out if we remove every third frame but run it at normal speed, it will look like a silent film. So that is how authentically they went to make the the period time periods of the silent piece flow like a silent film would. Was that on your list, James? No, I just okay. knew that fact because it was one of I the had six, Buster, but I thought I'm going to pull the obscure one. Yeah. one of those characters that people talk about. Chaplin, 
people talk Buster Keaton's not as well recognized. And I he think isn't. He isn't. And, and Mel Brooks talks about several other silent comedians, silent comedians who've just been lost for yeah. the most part. Oh yeah. You know, Chaplin has survived, and Buster Keaton's probably second to that. Right. But there's a lot of people who have just been lost. Anyway. Oh, and I'm blanking. Oh man, I'm blanking. There's like a guy who, because um, you know, when Char- sorry, we're gonna go. I'm gonna get off topic real quick. There's a Charlie Chaplin. When when Charlie Chaplin's famous studios wanted to recreate him, mm-hmm. James, you help me out if you know this. There's actually an actor who basically copied Charlie Chaplin's act, and he was so well he did it so well that he was actually considered better than Charlie Chaplin. Most of his films are lost. I will look up that actor's name and say it in part two of this episode. We will do a whole episode on silent films eventually. Yeah, um, <laughs> where we were just said here ago. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, the podcast listeners. That still wasn't funny. <laughs> um, What's your next one? Okay, so James mentioned um, Burgess Meredith. Uh, Burgess Meredith was also in a uh, favorite episode of mine. Mr. Dingle the Strong. I knew you were do it. If you didn't do it, I knew he was going to do it. <laughs> James, was that on your list, Mr. Dingle the Strong? No. <laughs> but it's such a great, it's another farce. It's uh, another farce. It's a farce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. And that's what I said. Now, my list is long because I, I was telling you all, I could have done ones that were just here for the funniest Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. We, we could do a whole episode about just the funny Twilight Zone right. episodes. And yeah, I, that's true. And, all, and every single one of mine is hardcore serious. And But Mr. Dingle the Strong is the opposite of that. So it was directed by John Brom and written by Rod Serling, of course. Right. Um, Mr. Dingle played by Burgess Meredith, is a meek weakling who is given the strength of 300 men. By whom? By a two-headed alien. Yep. As an experiment to see how humans would act if given amazing abilities. Yep. Of course, Mr. Dingle takes these powers and uses them for his own benefit, mm-hmm. like every typical human would. Just like Haley. <laughs> uh, he, he, he basically he shows off. He does random things just to show, show people how strong he is. Um, he even exacts revenge on the man who has been bullying him, played by... I don't remember, actually. You seriously don't remember who uh, the bully was? Who is it? Who beats the crap who out of him? Who is it? Don't... Don Rickles. Oh, my God, I forgot. It. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, I forgot. And what's funny is I just watched it a few months ago. Yeah, I mean, you know, it opens up with uh, Don Rickles in a bar. He's talking with uh, the, the fellow patrons. And they're talking about a bet, and he looks at Mr. Dingle, who's in a corner, and he goes, well, what do you, what's your opinion on this, Mr. Dingle? And the bartender's like, Dingle, don't answer. Don't answer, and he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Don Rickles knocks the crap out of him. It looks it looks so real. <laughs> and it may have been. Um, <laughs> Rickles. Um, the events that follow show one of the best comedic episodes in Twilight Zone history, in my opinion. No, it is. It's great. Um it even yeah. has a, like a little bit of a twist with the aliens at the end, right? Yes, it has a little twist with the aliens at the end um, because uh, there another alien race comes in and gives mm-hmm. him an, an, something else. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. I can't either, but it, there's a twist in there. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of Burgess, Burgess Meredith has probably two of the most popular episodes of Twilight Zone in history. The one, the the one James mentioned, and of course, what's the other one? I, I would say actually, he probably has about four. Time. The, there was time the, at the last. Yes. It's a good one too. Well, and we'll get to in the second part. Burgess Meredith did the voice of what? When we talk about Twilight Zone, the movie in our next episode. Keep going, James. Yeah. So, James, what's your next episode? I want to talk about one that is is unique in um, the Twilight Zone area for just a couple different reasons, and it's one that doesn't get a lot of airplay because it was an hour long one. Uh, during the fourth season when they went out right. long and when when they originally did the uh, syndication, they didn't do the hour long. Uh, so it's not one that got a ton of airplay. But um, I saw it and it stuck with me. So I, I, I want to talk about it. I, I, of course, refer to Jess Bell. Have, you, has anybody seen Jess Bell besides I've seen me? every episode. I've seen everything. I'm pretty sure I've seen almost every episode. The, 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 the title does not Sometimes hit me. the title doesn't. It's like Star Trek. If you tell me the plot. Well, Jess Bell is about Jess Bell, uh, a, a, who lives in the mountains um, and is upset because her ex-boyfriend, Billy Ben Turner, uh, who is played by James Best. I know what uh, it is. Yep. Um, is is going to marry someone else, and she goes to the local witch, Granny Hart, 
and strikes a deal with her. And the deal is that uh, she'll make um, Ben Turner forget all about um, Ellen or Elwin. I'm sorry, Elwin, the girl that he's going to marry. But the the requirement is that Jess Bell at night will basically turn into a leopard. Um, and that's not the course, only James Best every, Twilight Zone episode. I don't by remember the way. this episode. James Best is in another Twilight Zone episode. And he's in a couple actually. I think yeah. he's in three. Uh, he uh, so eventually, of course, when she turns into a leopard, it's almost like a werewolf story. She's animalistic, but also every time she turns back, she's a little bit less human. Not that she looks less human. She loses pieces of her soul. Uh-huh. She becomes more vicious, more cruel, more all of that stuff. I thought eventually, I knew what it was, but I'm trying to remember this one too, and I don't remember it, James. Because it was an hour long. Eventually, because when she turns into a leopard, she attacks people. She does, you know, it's kind of a werewolf story. Mm-hmm. They form a hunting party and they kill her. But because she also has lost parts of her soul, she can't rest. And basically, like the ghost of a witch, starts coming back to torment them. Um, and Ben Turner goes to marry Elwin because he recovers part of his memory. But then uh, he learns from Granny Hart that the spirit of Jess Bell will not rest until she is put down. Uh, she comes back as a spirit and tries to lure him out to dance with her under the moonlight as a spirit. A little bit of an evil too. I, don't, I can't remember it either. I don't, I do, James. You you stumped both of us, man. We've seen every episode. I do not. I remember thought you were talking one. about the one where James Best is dead. No, that's that's actually an episode I was going to talk about later. Which we'll is written, talk about which is two. Which is written by but the guy. The there. end of the thing is he finally figures out that he has to use the combination of voodoo and, and voodoo to kill her, and yeah, he does. This so is unique in all of the Twilight Zone episodes for one reason. Why? The final scene when he forms the voodoo doll of her and he stabs it with a silver hat pin that belonged to her, she turns back, the, the mannequin turns into her and the last scene is her being stabbed and then it just fades to black. There is no Rod Serling closing comments. Hmm. It ends with him having to kill her spirit, not just her body's dead. He is killing her spirit. And Rod Serling was like, we don't need any comments. That's, that's it. There's nothing I can say that's going to be more powerful than that concept. Um, so the episode did start James Best and Francis starred as Jess Bell. Mm-hmm. So Forbidden Planet reference there. Yeah. Um, uh, Laura Devon was Elwin. Jeanette Nolan was Granny Hart. It was actually written by Earl Hamner Jr. Anybody know who Earl Hamner is? Now, is he the guy that created the Waltons? He is. He created the Waltons. He actually wrote five episodes. Yes, because he wrote the other James Best episode that you're going to talk about where he's dead. He's the same guy. He wrote several episodes, and I forgot to write him down with my writers. And most of them are set in the Appalachian Mountains. Appalachian Mountains, which makes sense later on if you're a big Waltons fan, which, by the way, I am not a big Waltons fan. That episode was directed by somebody who directed several episodes of Twilight Zone, Buzz Kulik. Oh, yeah. That's what we um, call Haley. But but anyway, so that episode is is famous for in Twilight Zone Die Hard because Rod Serling said that's the ending. There's, I can't narrate this. Yeah. He is the spirit. What do I say? Well, the spirit's dead. See you next week on the Twilight Zone. So it's the only episode of the Twilight Zone made in the original and the uh, unique for the hour longs as well because it actually tells effectively two stories. If you're Perfect. listening to it and not watching the show, well, not to interrupt, it's the obviously going to be on James. That's why the popcorn is being thrown back and forth between Haley and Chad. No, 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 no. Thrown once, flick several. Ah, oh, I'm sorry. We're <laughs> flicking popcorn. You, you are no. Are you good with there? Are you good there? So let's. No, it's well, a teaser for next episode part. Two where we're going to talk. We're going to talk about further things about. More, we're going to talk about more episodes, and then we're going to talk about the cultural impact, That's, the eighty-five yeah. series, because I know but, James um, and I would like to talk about. As that. James was talking about that episode, a lot of similarities are showing up in another episode that I've re- uh, I listed. So I'm, I'm you wrote I'm, an episode of Twilight Zone. Yes, I did. How'd you do that? Anyway, what, what I was saying was it was unique. It was effectively two episodes yeah. in one hour. There you go. But it is a very bleak ending. I need Did you say it was one of the one-hour episodes? Yeah. It is one of the one-hour episodes. I'm going to have to go back and watch it. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch it. 
Just Bell, look it up. It's it's it's. I mean, what's funny is uh, he originally wrote the script. This is the this is the true story behind it, and that's why um, Rod Serling was so so shocked at how powerful it was. Uh, he called him on a Friday and said, "Hey, you want to? Can you write a script for us? We need a script uh, because some other script didn't work out." And Earl Hamner said, "I'll have it to you Monday morning." And Rod Serling was like, "Okay," uh, thinking it wouldn't happen. He showed up on Monday morning, and the only note that Rod Serling gave him, if you look at the history of the episode, is originally he had her turning into a tiger, and Rod Serling wrote a note on the script that said, uh, sorry, Earl, working with tigers is harder. Our le- uh, we can get a leopard that's better trained. <laughs> and that's, that's the only that's change TV. in the episode. But, but that's- he wrote it in less than 48 hours, an hour-long thing of TV, and Rod Serling, who wrote so much his only comment was it's going to be easier for us to get a better trained leopard sorry earl yeah and on that note tune in next week on bonehead part two of the twilight, twilight zone, zone where we talk I about wish i had a baseball so i could throw it through your window right now the bullet will indeed <laughs> because of the opening the... <laughs> yeah we're not doing that why because i paid for those french doors. you have no desire i paid for those french doors as much as i almost paid for those French whores. Tune in next week for episode two of The Twilight Zone. Hey, talking about Joe's itches. Mmm, I've got so many itches. That lasted seven years. It's in the Twilight Zone. When the bullet hits the bone. Where are we going home? <laughs> 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 Twilight Zone. Now, can, I do the, can I do the 80s shade flooring to end the episode? Oh my.